Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up, Wizards fans? Welcome to another Believe in Wizards podcast. I'm Matt Moderno. He's Jihadi White. And joining us today is Jeff Perlman, the author of Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s, the book that has basically turned into the HBO show Winning Time. Jihadi and I are both big fans of the show. Uh, Before we get going here, I just want to do a quick ad read. We're brought to you by Surfside Vodka and their stateside stateside vodka and their Surfside hard iced teas, hard lemonades. And Bet Online. Bet Online is your number one source for all your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, all that good stuff. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to get all your wagers in one place, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games. Head to the website and use our promo code BELIEVE, B L E A V, for your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Jeff, thank you for joining us here today. My pleasure. Sunny, and I'm happy. That's great. That's what we love to hear. Uh, Jihad, you want to kick us off? I know you've read the book. I've read the book. We both watched the show. Uh, any initial thoughts here before we get going? Well, so I love the book. I mean, the book gave me so much inside information. So I grew up a Lakers fan. My father was the biggest Lakers fan. So, you know, it, uh, every game I watched Lakers fan, I was watching the Lakers. I watched all the Lakers and the Celtics battles. So, um, People ask me, who's your, who's the GOAT? You know, who's the best player in the NBA, you know, now? Who's the GOAT? And they say either Michael Jordan or LeBron. And I say Magic. There you oh. go. Right. I say Magic Johnson is always my GOAT, no matter what. So um, so it was a great book. I guess my first question I, I like to ask you is from a player's perspective, from a player, you know, we always have a saying, what stays in the locker room? What happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. So we, we try to keep our personal life out the media, right? I was wondering how difficult was it to get all of that information for the book? And how did you come about your sources? And if you could, who were the sources that really helped you to get the, the inside scoop of everything? All right. That's a great question. And um, okay. The thing is, I agree with you. There's generally a thing in sports where what happens in the locker room stays in the locker room. But the caveat is when guys retire, that kind of vanishes a little bit (laughs) because a lot of times um, when someone comes back and it's 20 years later or 30 years later, and I call someone and I say, Hey, you know, I'm writing a book about so-and-so they're just really happy to talk about it. Like it's like calling some kid from who was in, whatever, try Delft fraternity at whatever school 20 years later and saying, tell me your best stories about your time in a fraternity. Like, wow, you really, you want to sit down with me and hear my most joyful stories about the best time of my life. That sounds great for me. And that's really honestly what it is with these books. No, it's not like you're asking people, I'm not putting a gun to anyone's head. If they don't want to tell me a story about something, they certainly don't have to. But for most guys, it's really a joyful retelling of a great time of their life. And one of the things, one of the keys to it all, honestly, is like, I would say like Magic Johnson has been asked about his stories a million times. 
Um, Kareem has been asked about stories a million times. Byron Scott has, James Worthy has. But like backup center Mike Smrek, who lives in Canada, right? And lives in the middle of nowhere. Like he was there too. He was in those locker rooms. He was in those meetings. He was there. He was in practice every day. He was playing against those guys. Wes Matthews, not, not the son, the father, was in those practices, in those games. So like a lot of it is finding everyone. The guys who are in camp for a week, the guys who the the training staff, the PR staff, the interns, like it's just about casting the super wide net. And then what happens is then you get all this and maybe you interview 20 members of the Lakers from the early 80s. And then you go to a magic, a cream, a James Worthy. And you say, look, I talked to all these people. They've been really open. I would love to talk to you, too. And it makes it a lot easier. So that I don't know if that answers your question, but that's really my approach to it all is cast a very wide net. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was there anybody that sense. just like totally shot you down that just I wanted nothing to do with it? Yeah, actually, I just said magic, but magic totally oh. shot me down. Magic <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't talk. Um, but it's actually weird. This is true, too. I'm not just making this up like. Um, magic not talking is better than Wes Matthews not talking sure. because magic has been interviewed about the 80s Lakers 7,223 times. But Wes Matthews sitting in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Hasn't been asked about in years, you know, Mike Smack again in Canada. Nobody, nobody's bothering Mike Smack to tell his stories. So like a lot of the magic stories, the cream stories you can get from the archives and from different people, but the different perspectives to me are insanely important. So, um, yeah, magic didn't talk. Kareem didn't talk. Kareem is incredibly hard to get to. In fact, I had a weird, this is a true story. Kareem has a handler, someone who kind of handles his business and she's like a bodyguard to Kareem. She's impossible to get through impossible. And, I tried and I tried and I tried and she's really weird. And one day I was at the basketball hall of fame induction ceremonies the year Michael Jordan got in and I texted her just trying. And I was like, Hey, just, I'm here if Kareem wants to talk. And she writes me back and she goes, I have really exciting news. Let's meet in the hallway. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is going to talk to me. And she's like, okay, Jeff, I have exciting news for you. Kareem wants to partner with sports illustrated to do like a roving memorabilia show where we would team up and SI could sponsor it. And like, I literally hadn't worked at Sports Illustrated in more than a decade. Yeah. I didn't know what the hell she was talking about. I had no idea. I still don't understand what she was talking about. But Kareem definitely wasn't talking to me. So it was a big <laughs> letdown. These are the things you go through. That's uh, that's a good one. It happens. Yeah, yeah I, I bet. I bet. Yeah, she seems. Well, they really, in the show, it really showed that, right? It, at, at, in the wintertime show, that's, I mean, pretty much that's his personality in the wintertime show, the entire, yeah. the entire show. Did you ever, Kareem, so, Kareem, uh, did you ever meet Kareem? Did you ever meet Kareem in your time have, in basketball? I've I mean, met him, Kareem, yeah. He, I haven't, I haven't had a long conversation with him. There are very few long conversations <laughs> with him. And he used to, the Lakers used to fly commercial and Kareem would, um, he hated, he just didn't like interaction. He was not comfortable with it. Doesn't mean he's a jerk. He just wasn't comfortable with it. And he would sit in the bathroom in a stall on the toilet with a book waiting for the flight to go for the time for the flight. He just didn't feel comfortable dealing with people. It doesn't mean, again, I always say it doesn't mean he's a jerk. He's just uncomfortable in the public eye. Always has been. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So after reading the book and then looking at reading the book and then looking at the series, yeah, I felt like there was much more information in the book, and I felt feel like the series is kind of moving fast, right? 
Yeah. Um, and it was so many great parts in the book that I, I kind of wish like, hold on that part. They went past that part already that in a series. Yeah. Is there any parts in the series that you would wish had parts in the book that wasn't there? Oh yeah. I mean, the problem is I don't disagree with you, but the problem is a book that book was probably 450 pages, right? Yeah. That's a long, a book is like a long walk and a series is kind of like a sprint, you know? And like, the problem is a lot of stuff. There's, um, I thought one of the most interesting parts of the book was Jerry West, when he was the GM of the Lakers, spy, had a spy follow around Norm Nixon, literally hired a, a private investigator because he thought Norm Nixon was like, I think he thought he was on Coke, actually thought he was on Coke. And he hired, hired a private investigator. Jerry West hated Norm Nixon. And he hired a PI to follow him around, didn't discover anything. But I actually thought that would have been really cool in the series. It's like yeah. really interesting. But, you know, they have, they, it's only an hour once a week of television. So you really don't have the time to tell it in that way, I guess. It's a bummer. They sort of depict Jerry as being more pro Norm Nixon, I think, in the show than in the book. Like, how much, how much consulting do you do of like, hey, this isn't quite what I found out by researching the book? Like, are they coming back and forth? Is there much dialogue as the show kind of um, outline is being formulated for a season? It's actually funny. I, um, I've never been good at watching. I don't know if you guys are like this too. Like, I'm terrible at watching sports movies and sports TV shows because whenever I watch it, I feel like I know too much. Yeah. You know, like you've seen Jihadi, I'm sure if you're watching, sure if like Jahadi White is watching an NBA TV uh, movie, you're like, that looks stupid. That looks stupid. That would never happen. That would never happen. That would never happen. Like it just kind of, and as a sports writer, like, like Moneyball, just mm -hmm. as an example, Moneyball is a good movie, but like Scott Hatterberg did not make the Oakland A's great. Like Barry Zito, Mark Mulder, Tim Hudson, yeah. Miguel Tejada, and Eric Chavez did. And they're not mentioned at all in the movie. So, mm -hmm. It's hard for me being a guy who writes nonfiction to sort of just be like, okay, this is what it is. This is what it is. And I'm adjusting to it. Like I'm adjusting to it. I have adjusted to it. It is entertainment television. So like, I always say like, I think the Jerry West characterization is excellent. I really do. Um, I think Paul West said was a little smarter than they make him out to be. Like Paul West said was a smart NBA coach. He was a mm -hmm. great coach at Loyola Marymount. He had a long and very distinguished career. But, you know, it's television and they're allowed to take they take little stretches and leaps. And I've just had to accept it. The uh, Jerry West portrayal has probably been the thing that's been the most maybe controversial about the series. Some people yeah. picture 73 year old Jerry West and get very offended at hot headed 40 year old Jerry West. But I I'm like super well read. I'll turn my camera in a minute. I've got a wall of NBA books here. Jerry's own book included a lot of the stories that come up are things he's even said he did. Now, like you said, they're they're ramped up for, for TV, but they're not just making stuff up about him as a person. So I'm, I'm glad you said that about kind of his characterization. I'm glad you said that, Matt. And I just want to say, whenever people say like, Jerry West, blah, blah, blah. Like I've had a lot of people, not a lot, but a decent number say, you guys did Jerry West wrong. And I always say, read West by West. Yeah, like, read exactly. his autobiography. Yep. His autobiography, which is one of the great sports autobiographies, I'd say, of all time. And he calls himself a crazy asshole in the book. Like he literally, like, there's a scene in the pilot episode where he breaks his golf club. Yep. He literally breaks a golf club in his autobiography. So, like, I understand you're watching. Like, if someone, no one would, but if they did like a movie about Jeff Perlman and they had an actor playing Jeff Perlman, and I'm sitting at my keyboard and I and I wasn't really consulted. I, I'm sure I'd be annoyed at the portrayal. So I actually get it. But I think the West portrayal. I think Jason Clark is kind of the star of the show in a lot of ways. Oh, good. Yeah. 
And I think uh, people take that too far, their criticism of a very good portrayal. Uh, so so Maggie Johnson said, yeah. So Maggie Johnson said when Winning Time came out, he said that um, I won't watch it because it's hard to duplicate. Now, if the Lakers or myself have something to do with it, then I would. But it's just hard to copy that. How do you feel about his statements and his kind of going against the show? Totally fine with it. Doesn't bother me. Honestly, it doesn't bother me. Um, I think if you watch the show, though, I don't know how much he's watched or if he watched at that point. Like Jeannie Buss recently praised the show. Yeah. And Jeannie oh. Buss initially was like, I don't know how I feel about it. She praised the show and said it made her really nostalgic for her father and that the John C. Riley portrayal of Joe. And I feel like if you see Quincy Isaiah play Magic Johnson, right? It's it's brilliant casting. Like it's not just good casting, it's does brilliant. A great job. Oh, and also like not for nothing, Quincy Isaiah, kid from Michigan, college football player like just exudes this thing. You know, I'm not saying he looks exactly like Magic Johnson, but he has a glow about him and a smile. And to meet him in real life is the same thing. He's just that guy. So I don't know. I, I just, I know my book was well reported. I know they researched the hell out of this show. I get why if you're Magic, you're like, I don't have anything to do with this. I don't like this. I'm not making money off this. I get it. But I think if you sit back and take it for what it is, which is both entertainment and an homage to 1980s basketball, I think it's pretty damn good. I really do. It's compelling television, especially during the summer. Like for us as a as a Wizards podcast, majority you know the majority of the time, there's yeah. not much to talk about right now. Uh, yeah. There's not much NBA to talk about, but there is basketball on TV. So this is perfect timing for us. I know you've talked about how how like detailed the show actually is. I was wondering if you could tell the, like the practice jersey story. I think that's oh. a really good one for people. Yeah, it's crazy. It was uh, before season one when they were first sort of preparing for it. And I got a call and they said, do you know what the summer league jerseys in 1979 Adidas summer league, which was played in Long Beach at the pyramid, do you know what the jerseys were made of? And I was like, how the hell would I know what the jerseys are made of? And they're like, well, if you could try finding out and somehow we found out and they wanted to do it because they wanted to, to duplicate the jerseys, not just make jerseys that look like them, not just take cotton shirts and write summer league on it, like duplicate it. The basketballs, I remember going to set and they had a bunch of literally 1979, 80 basketballs remade to the exact specifications. And the other thing that's crazy, I play, um, I play pickup every Saturday down here in Orange County, California. And the guy who plays Larry Bird and plays him excellently, Sean Patrick's ball. He's really good. He's really good. He's a good basketball player in Northern California, high school player, probably average about 18 a game as a senior, like good player. He comes down to play and he's like, he kind of warns me. He's like, just so you know, they restructured my shot. So I now shoot like Larry Bird. I didn't mean he's as good as Larry Bird, but he literally has the exact same release point shot. And it was crazy watching this guy who already was a good basketball player whose shot was changed permanently to shoot just like Larry Bird. So like, they are very meticulous. They're very meticulous. They could have, look, they could have had a guy taking jump shots in a Bird outfit who looked like Bird and 90% would have been like, oh, that's great. But like, they spared no detail on this one. That's cool. Yep. And you can definitely tell that they, that's everything is is uh, exact. And they make sure that it's, you can tell they're really focusing on the fine points of everything. And and that's it right. feels real. When I'm watching it, I feel like I'm watching a documentary. Yeah. 
it's also even the basketball scenes, like every shot doesn't magically swish in from half court. Like some of the basketball movies you see, like there's, you know, stuff rattles yeah. in and out. Like it's, oh. it's, it looks like real basketball. I'll tell you, I am. Um, or a cut from the shot or a cut from the shot right to the basket. Yeah, yeah. right. Or you just see the upper body of the guy yeah. shooting as you can tell it's not. Um, I appear as a reporter in episode six this year. I, I, there's a press conference scene and I play a reporter and I have three lines. And I showed up and it was like a dream. It wasn't even a dream. It was just a kind of amazing opportunity for me being a show based on the book that you wrote. And I showed up and I was super psyched and they give you free food, which is always great for a reporter. And you got your wardrobe and I got a wig and the whole thing and everything. Right. And I go into this room and it's made to look exactly like the old forum press conference area. And all the reporters are dressed up and they shoot the scene once they shoot the scene twice and three times and let's do it again. And they shot the scene 104 times, right? 104 times. I was there from 10 in the morning to about nine at night shooting the same scene Jeez. over and over again. It was okay. maddening and boring and headache inducing, but it also speaks to the detail, the attention to detail, wanting to get every angle right. So while I hated every minute of it, I am glad I did it. And I, I was glad I was able to experience what it is like to really give a shit about a TV show, you know? Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So so I'm a, also a big Pat Riley fan, right? I thought he was the coolest coach ever on the sidelines. All those also because I'm a great late big Lakers fan from just a kid. So I was always watch Pat Pat Riley. Reading the book, it showed me the the other side of Pat Riley, how maniacal he was, how obsessed he was, you know, how about the wives and the family, how they couldn't go on the road or how he, they, he would separate the players from the family, you know, all, you know, the, the weight, the weight rule, how much he would just work the players. Yeah. Were you able to see any of that firsthand of Pat Riley? Only via, you know, watching the old tapes and stuff. Like I wasn't, I mean, I was, I'm a little older than you a couple of years. So I watched the Lakers growing up, but I, you know, I just have the observations. I mean, the thing is, like the research into Pat Riley, um, I didn't know that much about him, not a ton. And when you think of Pat Riley, at least if you're my age, I guess, you think of him as kind of parading down the sideline as a Laker coach with the slick back hair and the Armani suits. And he really is a kid from Schenectady, New York, whose dad was a failed ball player. His dad was an alcoholic, um, an abusive father, at least verbally to Pat. And like, what I found really enlightening and interesting was sort of the struggle to become Pat Riley, you know, and this wanting to be this thing, going to Kentucky, but not being a star, playing for Adolph Rupp, uh, journeyman in the NBA for the most part. And like all those little steps and all those little struggles leading him to this point. And the thing that was really interesting that I, I will never forget about Pat Riley is he coined the phrase peripheral distractions. And what he meant by that was, during the season, we can have no peripheral distractions, but what's a peripheral distraction? It's your wife, it's your girlfriend, it's a bill you have to pay, it's taking the dog out to take a crap, it's uh, making breakfast. All distractions have to be gone and all you should focus on is being a Laker. I thought that is psychotic, but also a gateway to success. The heat culture, it seems to be working for him down there yeah. too. Yeah. I, uh, I'm i 35. He's never so. stopped doing it, so that's been his... That's been his thing. Yeah, exactly. 
I'm 35, so I, I don't even really remember Nick's Pat Riley. <laughs> like he's sort of been with the Heat for for most of my fandom, yeah. and it's like old, established, you know, Pat Riley. So reading the book and then seeing the way um, Adrian Brody characterized him and the scenes with Jillian Jacobs and like the insecure Pat Riley trying to find what you know what was after basketball for him, I thought that was like as good a, as part of season one as as anything. I so when they um when they cast Adrian Brody. My wife and I were both like, huh? You know, like we're like, hmm. Like I totally got John C. Riley immediately. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Sally Field. You take Sally Field and anything you can get. Rob Morgan is Magic's dad. I totally got all that. Riley, I was like, I don't know. And just being honest, he probably wouldn't like to hear it. Like he just has a really distinctive nose. Sure. And I thought, I don't know if I'm going to look past that. And we watched the first episode with him, and we both were like, oh yeah, like he's just that good of an actor, and mm-hmm. he just nails it. And there were moments where Pat Riley. I always think it's a good sign for a show where you see a picture of someone and you're like, wait, is that, is that Adrian Brody or is that Pat Riley? Or is that, is that Quincy or is that magic? And that's actually happened to me a few times with the show, the characters and the actual NBA players. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Uh, just talking about Quincy Isaiah for a minute. Mm-hmm. I think I read that he's like got almost no acting credits to his name uh, other than this show. Mm-hmm. And, and similar for the guy who plays Kareem, like very limited acting career. Yeah. Were there ever like bigger names attached with either of those parts or like those guys came in and people were like, oh shit, these, these are the guys like, you know, they nailed it right away. Okay. I can tell you something interesting. I don't even know if this is out there. I don't know if this would annoy my whoever, but I don't really care. Um, Jahadi, do you remember Lauren Woods, the Arizona center? I went to high school with him. We played together in high school. Lauren Woods was considered for the Kareem part at one point. Wow. Wow. True story. <laughs> I don't know what crazy. happened. I don't know if he was a bad actor. He didn't look the part or whatever, but I know he was considered. Um, Solomon Hughes, you probably never played against Sol- Oh, he's older than you. Is he older than you? It's about your age, but Solomon Hughes played a cow. He was a center of cow. I don't know if you played cow when you were at Georgetown, though, but um, he was a starting no, center did. of cow. Yeah, he was a starting center of cow. And um, I don't know how he actually came to the part. But neither Solomon nor Quincy, nor Sean, who plays Larry Bird, nor Delante D'Souza, who plays uh, Michael Cooper, like none of the, they all did like, they mostly did some community theater or college theater, but basically it was this big casting call. In fact, I know with um, with Sean, who plays Bird, they originally cast Bo Burnham, the comedian, to be Larry Bird. And Bo Burnham dropped out last minute. So they did this quick casting call. Somehow Sean found out about it. I think sent in a tape auditioned and like three days later was given the part and i always think like that's a that's like a gift from god because he's as good as you could get for larry bird i don't think there would be a better larry bird except for larry bird you know it's just perfect so i i know it's a laker show i think i loved the larry bird episode as much as any of the episodes so far just seeing like the other end of it it really establishes like him as the antagonist for early bird or early magic like I, i thought that episode was great and he's great in it Oh, I loved it. I saw him yesterday. And um, it's just a bummer. You know, the thing that's a bummer is like, we have this strike going on right now, writer strike and actor strike. Mm-hmm. And these guys can't promote it. And I actually said to Sean yesterday, like, are you enjoying, you know, that was amazing. That was a great, that was his kind of coming out as an actor. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, is it? and he's like, yeah, it's a little anticlimactic. And I was like, I totally get it. You know, like basically the the goober who wrote the book is the only guy who can promote the book, you know, like, or promote the show. And these guys deserve it. Quincy Isaiah deserves this. Solomon deserves it. Sean deserves it. And it sucks that they can't 
revel in the glory of it. That's actually kind of breaks my heart a little bit. So, well, I, yeah, they, I like they, that they really portray Larry Bird's trash talking. You know, people don't really understand how much a trash talker Larry Bird was, but the guys who play in the NBA say he's probably the best trash talker to ever played the game. And, yeah. and the show really portrays how much trash talking he he really does and, and how he gets to you. You know, it's so funny. I've had this talk a lot about Bird and Magic. I, and I know you didn't play against him, but like, it always annoys me when people get real lazy and they're like, they go to the white black stereotypes and they're like, yeah, Larry Bird wasn't even a good athlete. I'm like, Larry Bird was a great athlete. I'm not saying he was Dominique Wilkins, but you can't be that good and not be a good athlete. You know, it's just so lazy. And also like, they'll be like, Magic was the athletic one. Bird was a, like, Magic couldn't jump for, for anything. Like, Bird had a, I'm sure Bird had a higher vertical than Magic Johnson. And like, if you watch the clips, like they were both like smart, savvy, knew the angles, like knew how to get their teammates involved, were not afraid to take the big shot. Like the differences between Matt, they're both Midwestern kids, like Magic and Bird, people always framed it as polar opposites. It's actually the opposite. They're extremely similar. Same, yeah. And it was like lazy. It was like, oh, white, black. So they're opposites. They weren't opposites. You know, they were very, very, very similar athletically, socially, approach, work ethic everything about it. And I kind of dig how the show, I love that episode, how kind of Larry Bird is shown to be this guy who was just this, yeah. you know, badass mofo from Indiana who would beat up everyone, you know? So, yeah. There's a Jackie McMullen book about the two of them and I forget what it's called, but um, that's basically the premise of the book is like, oh, we found out we're the same guy and that's why we went from rivals to buddies. Yeah. I think a lot of the Larry Bird stuff is people remember him from the dream team when like his back was already gone and he was yeah. kind of cooked and it's like, Oh, he couldn't jump. It's like, yeah, he had no discs left. I mean that that'll do that. There's a play from, it might be, you guys have probably seen it. It's on a lot of clips, maybe the 81 finals when he's playing Houston and he misses a shot and it comes off the rim along the baseline and he somehow swoops out of nowhere, grabs a rebound and shoots in one. It's one of the best like athletic plays you'll see just on highlights over and over again. I just, in a lot of weird ways, I think Bird and Magic are both a little underrated for how good they're, especially with recency bias when everyone's like, Steph would Steph would destroy so-and-so or LeBron so-and-so. Like, those two guys are all-time, all-time greats. No doubt about it. You know, it's cool. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that's where the mutual respect comes from. Guys who, who, gives, who gives you your hardest time and you have to keep going up and against them over and over again, when it's all over, that's the guy you love the most because they pushed you, right? And, and that's the epitome of competition and the epitome of the game. So a real, a real guy who a real athlete, like an athlete, understands why Larry Bird and Magic love each other so much. Totally. Totally. I mean, don't you have guys you played against and you hated when you played against them? But hate but you actually have a love for them, even though you hate them. Like you still and like, as soon as you're done, it's like love. It's not hate anymore once the game is done, right? Right, right. It's it's because those memories stick stick the most. Those were are the most memorable times of the game you love the most. It's against that player. Wait, who is the guy you when you were playing? I, I know it's not my interview. Who is the guy like you hated the most, just on on the court, not in real life? But who is the guy you were like, oh, this guy, but you actually loved him. Alonzo Morning, the Kimbe with Tumbo, mostly all the Georgetown oh, because they gave me the hardest time. Yeah. And and I was, you know, I was younger, so I'm like, 
we were just talking and they they would play me like they hated me. Right. And I'm like, well, they like, you got the, you have to learn there's no friends between the lines. And so I knew when I was playing them, they were trying to teach me more of a lesson than another player. So I knew right. the, those games, I, I wanted to kill them too. So right. it was, it was, you know, but the, the respect factor is just now you see them. If I, when I see them, we just give each other the biggest hugs. We love each other. Right. Yeah. It's cool. It's neat. You guys are all in the same fraternity, you know? Yeah, that too. Absolutely. I, Jihadi, I always think of you as a player matched up with Shaq because I thought you guarded him about as well as anybody in that era did. Um, and, and Jeff, you wrote another book about the Lakers and Three Ring Circus focused on the Kobe Shaq years. Any talks about turning that one into a show at some point here too, or is it still too too recent? Man, first we need this show to succeed. Yeah, That's sure. the truth. Like they, um, HBO bought the option to that book just in case. Okay, But we really need, we just need viewership. Like I'm promoting this this show hard because... Um, we need people to watch it. So if if you guys want the Lakers saga to go on on HBO, the key is that people tune in and watch the show, which is available now. And not to sound like a used car sale. No, no, please. Ha- that's that. what we're going to do. Has this. his viewership <laughs> grown? It has. has actually, this, grown? It has. This season? season, it's gone up. Yeah, this season, it's gone up from first to second to third. So that's good. But, uh, you know, it's hard. It's, it's hard times. No one can promote anything. Right. So it's hard, you know? And, like, it's really interesting. Someone told me this the other day, and I – I hadn't really thought of it. Like there's a movie that's completed with uh, Zendaya, right? Zendaya finished a movie and it was supposed to come out later this year. And whatever studio was postponed it to next year because she can't tweet out or uh, post on Instagram to her hundred million Instagram followers. Yeah. And that's a huge, you know, that's whatever the biggest media was back 20 years ago. It's been flipped on its head and like getting a GQ cover story doesn't mean anything anymore. Mm-hmm. It's all about social media. So one of the big hurdles here is the stars of this show can't promote on social media, which leaves it again, leaves it up to the hack writer of the book, you know? So I, I, I literally, I'm, I watch too much TV. I watch too much basketball. I was on HBO max and I was like, you know what? I remembered winning time came out this summer. I wonder where it came out. And I literally looked and it was the day after episode one had come out. There was nothing about it on the max uh, homepage. Like I had to work to find it. And I think that's now been changed by episode three. But is that, have you heard anything from them? Is that an algorithm mistake? Like, I, I don't understand why they wouldn't promote something right now or they don't have any new content coming out for the summer. It's like a head scratcher to me. So I'm a, uh, it's funny. I'm a journalist and I'm also like, as a journalist, you kind of, you're just blunt and honest about things, right? And like, I know HBO doesn't like me saying this, but it's fucking driving me crazy. And like, how can you, like, this is a great show. And if you're gonna like, if you're gonna put a show out, freaking bring it, you know, like Mm -hmm. bring it. And I just like, these guys, these young actors, these guys who are scrapping and clawing their way up deserve this show to succeed. And I think HBO is behind it, I really do. But I just think it's been, there's been some glitches that I'm confused by. And it kind of is driving me crazy. I think they've worked it out. Uh, you know, I don't, I honestly, yeah, you're not the first person I've heard that from. And it, it's a little maddening, not gonna lie. You've been promoting the hell out of this thing. And like half the comments under them are, oh my gosh, season two, when does it come out? And it's like, <laughs> oh, you know, what can I tell you, man? I'm with you hundred percent. It's, I, I feel like I tweeted something out the other day. It got 2 million views and it's like, who the hell am I? Right. But I got 2 million views. 
And a lot of the comments were, oh, when you, season two is out, that's awesome. Or, oh, season, I love season one. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's above my pay grade. This seems like a cash cow in waiting for HBO. If I would think, like you've got like a like probably a cheaper cast because there's half people that are starting up for the first time, and you've got a built-in story. There's potential for spinoffs. Like I'm sure somebody would watch the Larry Bird spinoff to this. You know what I mean? Like in the alternate seasons. I yeah. just think that this is Funny. this is ready made. I will tell you, it is a really expensive show. Like it, okay. it's a costly show. It is not a cheap show to film um because of all the older stuff and sets and cast and stuff is this a lot there's a lot involved i don't know that much about you know it's not my world but i know it's a very expensive show to film so i'm sure that's part of it but um i do think it's a great i do i just i think it's a great tv show i think it's the best put it up with friday night lights in that category of like all-time great sports tv shows i feel that way so and there aren't that many basketball shows that are really good Yeah. yeah what what i'm finding out this season is a lot of people are watching this show because they like the show. Yeah. The new viewership. When I talk, I say, what do you know about the Lakers and Larry Bird? Nothing. But the show is great. Yeah. They're watching the show as a, as an actual good show. Man, I hope so. And so I think that's what the new viewership that's going to add. You don't have to be a fan of the story. I agree. Maybe they're just watching it because the author of the book is really cool. Is that possible? I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, that, that's definitely possible. <laughs> is uh, is like a third season mapped out and ready to go? I mean, I know there's a strike and everything, but like, have they already had talks about if we get a third season? Here's what it'll focus on. Oh yeah, I mean, the writers have definitely talked about it and kind of begun thinking about it. But again, it's kind of a long way off. Need that okay. to happen. So uh, yeah. Uh, Jeff, you've been, like I said, doing a, a great job promoting this on Twitter. Anyone not following Jeff at Jeff Perlman, uh, you know, if you follow this in the show, I've retweeted it out a couple of times. So anyone listening to this, you can find that there as well, but any favorite story that you've told so far that we haven't talked about here that you think people would really get a kick out of? Oh, good question. I mean, um, I will say this, like, um, when you write a book, you never think like people are like, is this a dream come true? And I'm like, it's not a dream come true because you would never dream that your book is going to become an HBO show. And the truth of the matter is if this show died tomorrow, I've won the lottery times a thousand. So I can't really complain, but I will say like most people, when you're asked like, what's the greatest night of your life? What's the greatest day of your life? And you're supposed to say, if you're married, you're required by law to say your wedding. If you're a parent, you're required by law to say it's a birth of my son or the birth of my daughter, you know, all that stuff. The greatest day of my life was they had a premiere party for season one. And they had in LA and it was at a, a, a like a, a, an old movie theater with like the big, you know, you walk into the concourse and it feels like the 1950s. And my wife was out of town. And I took my two kids. They're both teenagers. And first they sent a car. HBO sent a car. My, my kids are like, oh my God, they're sending a car. And then we get there and there's a red carpet. My kids are like, oh my God, there's a red carpet. And they're like, Jeff, walk the red carpet. They say, all right, so I walk the red carpet. I'm on the red carpet in my suit. Just a schlubby sports writer. I'm on my red carpet in my suit and they have this awesome party with all these stars and my kids are like oh my god they're so-and-so and they're so-and-so and adam mckay gives a talk before they show the screening and he says jeff perlman one of the great sports writers stand up jeff and my kids are next to me and it's like this great moment right but the greatest moment was at the party they had a cigar bar they had a rolling cigar station and my son at the time was probably 15 or 14 
my daughter was like 17, 18. And my daughter's like, we need to smoke a cigar. My daughter. And it's me, my kid, and my, my daughter, my son and my daughter. And I'm like, we do need to smoke a cigar. So me, my son, my daughter are standing there with Michael Chiklis, who plays Red Auerbach, the cigar yep. smoker. Yep. And we're smoking a cigar. Now we all just took puffs. It wasn't like some. And I'm like the worst parent in the world, but I'm reveling in this moment where I'm smoking cigars with my kids at a party for a show that's based on a book I wrote. It's probably the greatest singular moment of my life when I think about the different highs. So that was pretty sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, I mentioned Three Ring Circus. Uh, You've got a ton of great books. I'll I'll tweet a couple of them out here uh, with this episode when it goes out. Thank you. For anybody that just wants a good read this summer, any of the books you've written would be great. I guess, um, number one, where can people find a copy of this book? I think on Amazon and bookstores, maybe. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. You never know. Right. Audible, everywhere, go out. Oh, yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I oh, would highly encourage it. Can I say one thing, Matt? Please, yeah. I just want to say here, Jihadi White, when I was in college, I went to University of Delaware, and our rival was Drexel. And Drexel's star was Malik Rose. And I feel like Malik Rose was your kind of player, which is a badass, grindy, elbow throw in, you know, fire hydrant in the lane who just beat the physical crap out of you. Am I wrong? I hate it playing against Malik Rose. <laughs> I hate it playing because he, he, was pretty, he should play football. Yeah. He should be a football player. And he would just sit on your knees and just be, and he was, he, his physicality, my physicality was equal. That's what I'm saying. And he didn't have to do anything else because he had Tim Duncan and David, right? He had so many other people on his team, like greats that his job was just to kick your ass. He was good so, at it. Uh, it just, I, I hated, I hated playing against some league roles. I mean, it was battles, but it was just some battles you look, Forward to certain battles when you know somebody just can mess your equilibrium up because you, you're a little bit too tall and they just play on your knees all day. I'm like, man, why why don't you just go play football? <laughs> but but if uh, you saw him now, he was a hard player and he he gave everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, big Malik Rose fan, big and big Malik Rose fan back in the North American Conference. Oh yeah, I, I love him now too, but I hated playing against him. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh, Jeff, you mentioned a couple of former players have potentially auditioned for some parts there, been in the running. I don't know if you know this, Jihadi himself is a movie star here. So if there's ever any casting opportunities moving forward, throw my guy's name in there. Oh, right, wait, I'm going to, I'm going to do the IMDb. What movie, what, uh, what were you in, Jihadi? It was on a sci-fi channel. It was, uh, I did it's movies and some commercials. The movie was on a sci-fi channel. It was called. Showdown in Area 51. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There it was. I played a, I played the bad guy, Big Bats, um, alien. I tell you what, and I mean this: if season three comes about, and they have any big bad alien roles, you're the first <laughs> guy we're going to. Period. End of stop. Well, I didn't see it in your book, but you know they put it in there. Of course, <laughs> it is TV after all. Yeah, it's only TV. The alien yeah, attack it- takes cream off Pluto. Yeah. In there. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> uh, you yeah, mentioned we'll Delonte. You mentioned I'll, play Delonte. On, I'll be I'll play on the other team. There Great. I will bring this up. I'm not kidding. If there's a season season three, 
I will remember this and I will bring this up. I'm not kidding. You that have my word. Good. It'd be good for our show uh, here, man. too. Uh, Delante D'Souza, uh, that plays Michael Cooper, is from Maryland, so I want him to do well. Uh, whenever the strike ends, I'm going to try to get him on, too, just to, to talk that up a little bit, because uh, that's another guy, you know, starting his career, should be able to be on Good Morning America and all that stuff right now, not getting uh, the shine he deserves. So Maybe one of the worst basketball players I've ever seen in my life. Really? <laughs> one of the nicest human beings ever, mm. not a basketball player. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Like it's yeah. the Wesley Snipes thing here, right? Like where they've got to cut away from him dribbling the ball every time. It's he's one of the best guys you ever ever meet, like truly ever. But I'm just saying, like I'm a 51 year old sports writer, and Delante's probably 30. It wouldn't be close. Like I would, I would eat it. I would eat his lunch, you know. But he's a he's a great actor. He's amazing as Michael Cooper, and he actually auditioned. It was during COVID. He saw an audition. He didn't know who Michael Cooper is. He's not a basketball fan. He didn't know anything mm -hmm. about the Lakers. He auditioned. He has an amazing charisma to him. He has an amazing kindness to him. In fact, one of my nicest moments of my life, on set, first season, I'm walking around. He's in his Laker uniform, just kind of waiting for a scene. And he goes, Jeff, do you ever think to yourself how none of this would happen? None of us would be employed if you didn't write your book. That's and cool. like, it was one of the nicest things anyone, anyone anyone's ever said to me. It's not really true. Like, it's really the Lakers and the story. But like, it was so kind, yeah. like he's just a kind soul. So like if, uh, when the strike ends, if you reach out to me, I will make sure to get him to do your show. hundred oh, yeah, percent. That'd, that'd be great. I will take you. Don't, up on tell, that. don't tell him I said he sucks at basketball. <laughs> we will not repeat that part. <laughs> um, Jeff, most importantly, out of all of this, where can people watch season two of winning time? HBO, HBO max, HBO, HBO max, please do. You can watch. It's up to see episode three. You can watch them on the back catalog. You watch all of season one if you need to catch up. It's all on HBO. It's a great, great show. And honestly, we 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 just need people to watch. We really do. Yeah. And uh, Sunday nights, right? Is that? Yeah, but if you stream it, you can watch it. Whenever. Yeah, but but if anybody is watching it in real time, like I'm literally refreshing, uh, waiting for them to come out each week. So. Oh, that's so cool. I really appreciate that. Um, and I think uh, you know, I'm just throwing it out there. Let's say winning time fails to continue. What about a uh, what about a show about the two thousand three two thousand four Washington Wizards? So I, I, I have a journalism be a degree. Great show, right? I have I have an English minor. I have always thought someday I will take a year off of work and I will write the book about the that Jordan through Arenas era Wizards team. Like that is that is a life goal for me. But I would much rather you do it. So um if you are if you are ever looking for a book topic, I I will definitely be your first reader if that comes out. I mean you got Larry Hughes. So you know you about what you said about the retired players? Yeah. They would talk, they retire right? they they tell all the they tell all the business. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Well yeah he is a retired I, bet I, get player. Good, I get some good I get some good Leitner stories out of that book. There you go. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> our uh, our last episode, we had a Tom Thomas on, and both he and Jihadi mentioned what an unbelievably nice guy and teammate Christian Leitner was. And no. as a Maryland alum, I hated to hear that, but that's not the first. We all hated Everyone hated Leitner, unless you love Duke. Everyone hated Leitner. Yeah. Yeah. Until you meet him, yeah. you hate him. But until you meet him, and he the coolest dude you ever met. Also, underrated NBA career. You know, drafted um, number three after Shaq and Alonzo. But, like, Christian Leitner was a legit. You wouldn't disagree with me, right, Jahadi? Like, legit. He's not not one of the great NBA players of all time, but a legit top-shelf NBA player, like a really good NBA player. 
Oh, he was really good. I mean, Christian Leitner now would be Kevin Love. Hmm. Yeah, it's a good comment. There you go. Good stretch, big. Yeah. yeah. And Jahadi White would be um, yeah, absolutely. Joel Embiid. There you go. Hmm. Well, hey, oh, Joel Embiid could be the second coming of Jahadi White. There exactly. Exactly. I got your back, hey, Jahadi White. That's how we do that one. Yeah. Uh, Jahadi, any final questions here for Jeff before we get him out of here? No, Jeff, I, I, I love the book. Thank you. You know, I'm a big Wizards fan. I mean, Lakers fan. I love the book, you know, and it was great to just have such an insight. You read the book, you felt like you were in the locker room. You, you could vision every moment. You When they were on a plane, you felt like you were on a plane. You know, when they were on a bench, you know, so especially if you're, you're a big fan like me of the Lakers. So I just think you did an amazing job of – being able to envision everything that you you wrote, you put the reader in that place. Oh, thank you. But can I ask you guys a wizard's question? Please. Tell me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm misreading this situation. For real. I feel like Jordan Poole is the guy who averages 25 a game, shooting 38% for a team that wins 17 games and really enjoys every moment of it. Am I... Am I Am I off on that? You might not be wrong, unfortunately. I hope you're wrong, but you might not be. Yeah, I hope you're wrong too. I'll tell you what, he's definitely going to average 25 to 30. Yeah. Now, you're definitely not wrong about that. I think they'll be plucky and more competitive than maybe we get credit for, but I don't know how many actual games they'll end up winning. Yeah. Well, they have cool uniforms. They can't take that away from them. We'll take it. Take what we can get here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Jeff, so much. I, I hope this uh, season picks up in terms of viewership here as now people are starting to find out about it a little bit more. I hope there's a season three. I'm looking forward to more books. Everybody, the book is Showtime, Magic, Kareem, Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers Dynasty of the 1980s. The show is Winning Time on HBO. We're three episodes into season two. Catch up on all of them. He's Jeff Perlman at Jeff Perlman on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling that thing now. Twitter. Uh, yeah, it's Twitter forever. He's Jihadi White. I'm Mavaderno. This was Believe in Wizards. We're presented by betonline.ag. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. And we will catch y'all next time. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube